you're about to hear part two to this episode of Climate Mayhem. If you haven't already, go listen to part one to get the full story. And you guys were, in that sense, ahead of the ahead of the curve to a huge degree with your people first philosophy and and starting from that perspective. But I would argue it probably means you've got to, like you said, back it up, right? Like now you've had this story on the internet for 15 years of this is what we're about. Uh, millennials these days will will Google you, right? <laughs> they oh, <will>. yeah. <laughs> and they will challenge us. This is, you know, where we have to continue to to pivot and learn and change the way that we do things, how we got here or how we want to get to the next thing. We can't really do the same thing over again, right? Because when you have... yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you have a purpose-driven company and you have purpose, you've attracted purpose-driven employees, they expect you to do things like purposeful things. Like you can't just, right? Like when you have political upheaval, you don't get the luxury of ignoring that. You right. need to talk about what you're doing as a company and what you're doing as a people. And oftentimes it's a lot easier to do in a smaller company. And then as you get larger, well, you have people on either side of those politics. Sure. Sure. And so how do you support the systems that support people to have those opinions and to do those things without sure. undercutting somebody else and, and, and shifting culture? And, you know, over the last, uh, last administration, there was a lot of focus put on businesses where government oversight was kind of getting dismantled, right? Underfunded and, and purposefully dismantled. And so a lot of pressure was put back on businesses to say, well, how are businesses and corporations caretakers of you know, their employees and their, their stakeholders and everything else. And we're still seeing some of that today of employees saying, I see this issue out in the world called racism, call it environmental destruction, justice and equity, like very big, difficult things that one company cannot solve. Right. There's an expectation from purposeful employees to say, well, what are you doing to help? And, and you yeah. better really do yeah. it. You can't just change a Twitter color or a logo or whatever and say, <laughs> yeah, look, look at our yeah. support. Like you got to back it up with real actions. And in the meantime, you're still trying to deliver a profitable product because without the profit, the mission just doesn't work. Doesn't work. That's super interesting. And this is kind of where I was getting to, especially with your industry, talking about the solar coaster again, but you're talking about the evolution of your customer obviously now the evolution to some degree of your employee, right? The one that you said you put first, people first, the customer and the employee. But this other part of it, which is the reaction to the government. And I and I just have to ask a more pointed part of this thing is the history of the government involvement or lack thereof over the last 15 years has got to be just such a wild ride on this coaster because, I mean, as I think most people are introduced to solar, it's with some sort of tax credit or government program or pulling a program and pulling a tax credit or changing their mind. Or like you mentioned earlier, tariffs on certain parts of uh, the supply chain, um, et cetera. What is that ride like? How has that ride have been of having the government in your business, out of your business over the last 15 years? And where are we today, I guess, right now? Like, where has things gotten to? But I'd love to know a little of the history and your way you guys rode that ride a little bit. Yeah, that's, again, a great question. And I think it boils down to power is politics. Like, if you look at the state of the world 15 years ago, you see most of the corporations dictating policy are oil, coal, you know, traditional energy, 
businesses. And I was really naive at one point, right? Like we were looking for a new incentive or new funding for an incentive here in Washington. And we started to get involved with lobbying efforts and things like that, or just going down and, you know, meeting your representative face to face and just personally for me, you know, it's you're meeting with someone who doesn't smile with her eyes. And they're really good at saying, of course, constituent, this really matters to me, but then not actually taking action. And for some reason, I thought like, hey, if we just get this program passed, we'll never have to play politics again. And it was after, it was, I think it was after the failure of that, that I realized, no, like power is politics. And one of the things that the industry is doing is disrupting traditional power structures and literally giving power to the people. Like solar is the only technology that we, we consider like a, let's see if I'm getting the phrasing right, like a democratic energy source because anyone can use it anywhere you know right, within right. reason but democratizing that, energy democratizing right? energy Thank distributed you. systems yeah yeah it's distributed so you're literally taking central power control out of traditional hands and and distributing it to the people and those traditional power structures don't like that society isn't really set up that way and those investor types and and not just investors but you know like other public institutions they're used to thinking about tax credits and maximizing those things they've enjoyed subsidies for generations and for the first time it's now you have to educate people about how their money works and how their taxes work and what's a credit versus a deduction and and so you're introducing a level of complexity to people that just isn't there before right like many of our customers before ever hearing about solar, their interaction with energy and electricity was I turn on the switch, my lights turn on, <laughs> I turn off the switch, I do that, right. I get a bill. So we were like, well, this is how many kilowatt hours your system's gonna produce. So like, I don't know what that is. Like, what's a kilowatt? What's a kilowatt hour? What's an electron? What do you mean it flows? Does it really flow? And then, you know, it's like, how many doors do I open here? And you get into yeah. arguments with engineers are like, tell me about the voltage drop across a bypass diode here. And, and then other people are like, so the, can I paint my panels to match my house? Like, is that a thing I'm allowed to do? You know, this is, wow. All over that the moves place. a little away from the, the politics, but it's also, you have this tremendous groundswell, right? Like so many yeah. of our customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so tired of hearing politicians say we need to do something, but not doing anything. And adopting solar was, it's, it's a chance for people to participate in the future that they want to build. And so that's like a really powerful to be around people who are, are making that choice, investing savings and money into doing that. And then Oftentimes, those people continue to get involved in the politics afterwards. We now employ, solar now employs more people in the fossil fuel industry. Again, you can do this in every single state, right? So every single governor, senator, representative has some solar company, some distributed energy company working in their district and benefiting from solar. And the great thing about this, right, democratizing energy is these are jobs you can't outsource, Right. Like we saw that happen in the late 90s and I was young and kind of not paying attention there. But I do remember hearing like, what are these service industries like what it's where a knowledge based economy and you just saw a bunch of things offshore and offshoring was the big word. And now you hear about onshoring this and that like you can't take one of our electricians and, and ship them to some other country and still get solar on your house. Like we are boots on right. the roof. And it's like, and yep. those benefits just continue to accrue within the communities that we work in. 
And so politically, you just see a lot of engagement at the community level and just, you know, at the state and regional level and, and federal level. And I, uh, politics will never leave energy, but they're just they're <laughs> changing. So that's me a little bit of the brief history. And I think what you see now is more broad support, right? The government is always going to be behind what the people really want. And there's, we could get into the politics of, you know, does a or representative democracy, is it really effective at giving the people what they want? People are moving this forward and politicians are just slower to, to get on board and, and move forward. But I mean, we just see this confluence of amazing things happening. And is it too little too late in a climate change perspective? We don't know. But there's this great saying that I will paraphrase here, which is like the, the best day to like, if you need shade, the best day to have planted a tree was 20 years ago. Right. The second yeah, best yeah, day yeah. Is today. So, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So yeah. I just, you know, whether the political effort is a too little too late, I, it doesn't matter because it needs to happen no matter what. It's happening. Right. right. It's happening. Yeah. And so now we have, you know, the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is like the most stability that we've ever seen on the federal level. It was just phenomenal. And we're just, we're still trying to discover what that means. And we'll be discovering that for, for the next 10 years. But then in Washington state alone, you, you see the passage of, you know, the 100% clean energy by 2050 or 2045. Oregon has passed similar legislation. I believe California has as well. So you have an entire, you know, the West coast all trying to achieve this net zero future. And more and more and more states are adopting that. So there, there's just this momentum that is like, hey, this is happening. We're going to do it. The question is, how are we getting there? And uh, which comes back to growing an industry, you know, trying to make sure yeah. that there's not room yeah. for bad actors. But you're also seeing some of these traditional power structures, you know, political and otherwise, come to accept that, hey, we can't fight solar, right? There are a lot of early efforts to kill distributed solar. Now they're like, well, actually, how do we take advantage of this? How do we have programs for our utility customers? How do we, how do we get our community solar projects installed? You know, there's still challenges there, right? Like Washington State has so many, what, 64 different <laughs> utilities. And many yeah. of them are rural co-ops who get their yeah. power, hydropower yeah. from BPA and 80% of their customers are low income and they don't have the resources to learn a new technology, learn how to interconnect it, learn how to manage it. So there are challenges there, but then the Inflation Reduction Act actually provides support for entities like that to pursue more distributed renewables and clean energy and hydrogen and research and all kinds of stuff. So it's like we're we're entering this time where there is a lot of support and there is a lot of will and just a lot of excitement around it and, and good and bad things will come of that, but mostly good. I love this quote. Power is politics. It's the, it's the flip side of whatever politics is power, you know, those kinds of things. It took me a second to understand the definition of that, but I get it. Like when you say that, it's not something I've ever heard nor thought, but wow, that, that is a, that's a really interesting observation. And, and, and I, I dig that a lot. And I'm going to cheat a little bit here because, you know, I, actually, I think I've asked you this question in a personal setting in the past, but what you just said at the end there kind of brought me back almost, I would argue, changing an answer I had in my own head, but is this idea of like, I'm asking it differently than I think I would have asked it in the past, but do we need government programs to buy solar? 
there's a part of me that is, and, and I think the way I said it to you before was, it drives me crazy that your sales guys have to sell on ROI and the fact that you're going to get this payback and all of this. And we don't buy a car expecting an ROI. We don't buy a refrigerator expecting an ROI. If you believe in solar and you want to go into this, why don't why do we need a tax credit to in order to to buy it and make it kind of quote unquote affordable or have some sort of ROI? But what you just said there at the end about these potentially rural you know utilities and areas and people who need education, all of a sudden you started to change my perspective a little bit there. But I'll say it just plainly: Do we need government programs to help us buy solar? This is such a good question, and I'm with you. I would love to not have to talk about payback, and I don't know how that ever got into the question with solar, because yeah, you're right. Granite countertops don't have a payback. Um, you, you don't usually question the source of where those came from, right? There's, right, right. Solar is kind of held to this higher standard, and and in a way, I think that's really good because it, it prevents more bad actors and it encourages you know maybe some better behavior out there sometimes. I would love to operate in a business that did not function on subsidies. I don't know that there is a business out there that doesn't enjoy some level of subsidies, whether they're employee retention tax credits or tax credits for this or that or the other, right? Those are, those are the, the rules of the game that are laid out for us to play. It's up to us to figure out how to play that while without breaking the rules and how to thrive within that. And so I think in some ways, would it be great to not have to worry about incentives? Yes. And the structure, the the rules just aren't really set up for us to play that way yet. There's that makes a really, sense. I see what you're saying. Yeah. The, like there's a really old kind of way of thinking in the solar industry where it was like, damn the man, like the utility is the man and down with the utility. <laughs> right, right, right. We we took an early approach to say that's not really right. The utilities are our partners, right? Because without right. the utility, we don't get to interconnect our systems. Our customers are their customers. It's just that the utilities were not meeting the needs of our customers, and we were able to fill that need. Right? The customers wanted to have some power production in their own hand. They wanted some level of control. They wanted to tackle climate change directly, and the utilities weren't providing that need. They are with other programs and green programs, but those don't quite touch on the independence. They don't touch on self-control and self-determination, which is really big in the Northwest. I love this spirit that still exists out here um, of like, we are fiercely going to be independent and we're willing to do it together. Like it's this great balance (laughs) of just like collaborative independence. And honestly, I think that's what government is good for is saying like, I mean, people are not rational actors, businesses are not rational actors, and government does need to step in there in some way and, and guide and direct what's happening there. And so I think these programs that are out there help do that. They help make sure that the energy is going into the right places. Hmm. Within the Inflation Reduction yeah. Act, we're going to see so many more community solar projects that are in places serving people that are going to be the most risk for future climate change, right? So mm-hmm. you have rural communities, uh-huh. poor communities, low-income, moderate-income communities, tribal communities. A, a lot of programs are going in to make sure that, you know, it's like if we can focus on making sure that the people who most need it get it, everyone yeah. else will get it too, right? Like wow. we need yeah. to be thinking about yeah. them first. This came up a lot right. in the Washington State energy strategy of we need to do all these energy things. And then there was always when we were going through the strategy for Washington State, the last cycle, we had 
uh, Black Lives Matters were suddenly on everyone's mind. And so we had this diversity and equity and um, justice piece, but it was always at the last bullet point. We're going to do all these things and also we'll talk about this. I was like, no, 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 like you have to do it first. Like you have to think about these things first and capitalism isn't good at doing that. So that's where some level of government intervention, I think, is good. Even if it's just saying, this is the signal, this is the benefit for you working with these communities, making sure that your business benefits these communities, whether it's through participation or ownership or workforce, that's not going to happen without some kind of level of, of government programming, whether that's an incentive program, a tax credit, or something like that. Yeah. Fascinating. I like it. You've mentioned the climate bill a couple of times, the Inflation Reduction Act, IRA. How is this going to help ANR Solar, if it is? It's definitely going to help. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. It was a big document. <laughs> it, it's a big document. We, we, I had a training this morning just going through just a very small section of it. It's interesting, right? It's stability, right? We've talked about the solar coaster a couple of different ways, and I don't expect it to bring broad economic stability. Right. There's still going to be macroeconomic things that in our solar and other solar companies have to navigate. There's still going to be societal things that we have to navigate. But the ability for us, so if you think in the past, like with one of these programs, it it expires in six months. Okay, well, who how are we making investments as a business? How are we directing our investments? Well, we can buy a truck, but it needs to pay for itself in six months or less. Right. So I just sat through a presentation about converting our fleet to electric vehicles. Well, that's a, as in, from a pure investment standpoint, that's a four-year payoff. Well, until this passed, I wasn't sure if I'd be in business in two years. I mean, still not sure, but I have a pretty good track record. So I'm reasonably confident that we're going to be in business over the next few years. But now I can start to think about, and, and not just me, but our entire leadership team and entire company can start to think about what are the investments we're willing to make that are going to have much longer term payoffs, whether that's investment in training or equipment or software or something else to make ourselves, you know, just more efficient, better, reduce frustration. Because you can safety. let yourself think about that now. You can let yourself think about that now. So there's like a lot of traditional business financing and just, you know, regular like business best practices that we haven't been able to practice in almost 16 years. Wow. Because there's always that that unknown cliff, that wall that we can't see beyond. And now we, yeah. we get to start looking at long-term planning and go, yeah, I think that's reasonable that we can achieve that in three years. Wow. That's, uh, that's fascinating. And that's awesome. You get some, you get some run room, which it seems like it's going to, with the amount of funding, be a few years, right? Ty and I were talking about a subject before we hopped on the call, which is labor. Like, you know, you need great electricians and maybe you need roofers or not a special type of a roofer. Do you see labor being an issue given everything this climate bill is enabling? It really does require a, a strong labor force. Uh, you could say more blue collar, right? Absolutely. 100, 1000 uh, percent. Even before this passed, just Washington and, and Oregon passing their clean energy bills, their, their goal is to be 100% clean energy. And again, participating in the state energy strategy process, we looked at a bunch of different scenarios. How do you get there through, say, cleaning up natural gas, doing renewable natural gas, this, that, or the other. And what it looks like, at least our region will be pursuing, is a electrification of the economy, right? Electrified transportation, right. Right. Homes, yeah. all these yeah. things. Well, to do that, you, you're absolutely right. You need the, the skilled labor to do that which for us is electricians and apprentices. 
and they've already been in short supply for for really a long time like some of our first hires that we made to get electricians on staff that was like our our hardest hires to get people and to keep them um, wow. and we've done better but the the effort is going to be tremendous to move our society to adopt these technologies as quickly as we need to and as quickly as we can with labor. And as we were saying, before you hit the record button, we were talking a lot about public schools and education and pathways and what are the resources being given to the kids these days. And as a society, we have waged this multi-decadal, I don't want to call it a war, but we've just eroded the trades as a pathway to live, a the to achieve the American dream, which is just absolutely fascinating to me. And I, I do this in my own life. I, I mentioned I've got a four-year degree. We're with my own kids where like, it is not a question of if you're going to college, it is where. And I say this as somebody who is often on the soapbox saying that we need to be talking to kids about the trades as early as middle school and high school. Yep. Yep. It's not necessarily about making sure that there's a shop class anymore. That would be great. But you know, like me as a computer geek, being able to learn this on the job, like anyone can learn it on the job. But what we need to know is like, I, you know, we talk about all this like college debt that's going on. By the way, mm-hmm. there's this great right. four-year program over here with on-the-job training where you take on right. debt and you, <laughs> you get paid. Right now, the prevailing wage job, if you're working on public bid or you're working for a union contractor, for an inside electrician in King County, $96 an hour. Wow. There's no four-year degree that you can get that guarantees you that kind of pay. Right. For which job? <laughs> as an inside electrician, <laughs> right? Like maybe I should go back to the apprenticeship. Yeah. That's the thing. And and it's so it's not just even saying, hey kids, don't forget that the trades are a good place to go. And hey parents, right. If you if you've got a head on your shoulders, you can go so far in the trades. So far. There are so many opportunities. And it's not just about turning the screws. Like one, like that takes a lot of skill and a lot of knowledge and a lot of training. But then you're also learning a bunch about how different systems interact. There's you can move into sales, production, you know, warehousing, logistics, project management, estimate, like any other wow. job that you really wanted outside of like, you know, programming and development. Like you're you're learning the management skills within the trade. So we we have a high number of people with four-year degrees who are now in the field. Many like me who said, I got this degree. I thought it was going to get me where I want, but I need purposeful work, which might include like building physical things and said, you know, I'm going to go to solar where I can do that. I can actually, at the end of the day, I can see that I did something good for the future. And so, yeah, labor is is huge. It's going to continue to be just um, a struggle, I think, for a lot of people, which comes back to you know, I think, as we said, like people first and learning, how do we continue to do that and meet the needs of the the workforce where they're at? So probably talk to businesses about like the great resignation. And I don't consider the great resignation because people are still looking for work. I consider the great shakeup of like, I I can't do this job anymore. I want to do something else. And we want to be that place where we're where the grass is greener on the other side, right? Like that's, that's our goal. We've got a lot of work to do there. (laughs) Yeah. Did the R? Sorry, I haven't read the big document that is the the IRA. Did it talk about that? Does it have some support for programs to get people to get training for solar specifically? And I, I don't know if there's. I'm sure there's probably some Department of Labor funding that helps people kind of get into programs and, and get programs going, expand programs. For us, there is the tax credit for large systems. There is an adder. 
if you're using registered apprentices and have an apprenticeship program in place oh, and if you're prevailing wages, you can yeah. qualify for a higher tax credit. And so our initial math right now is looking like, you know, that additional incentive just pays for the additional labor, but isn't that great? Like you're talking about people making really nice wages, working on phenomenal projects and the government is helping pay that through these tax credits and, and, and again, just supporting the communities that we're working in. Well, I've got one big question for you that we kind of been asking everybody in this space. And it's this kind of, you know, it's the look forward of all things, all industries that are trying to impact climate change in your mind and from what you've seen in your experience, you know, what, what do you think is the next big step change or what can be part of the next big step change in climate action or sustainability down the road? Yeah, phenomenal question. This is my chance to to say, you know, a lot of times over the years, one of the one of the things that our hesitant customers said that prevented them from going solar is, well, what if I'm I'm gonna wait for the next best technology? I'm gonna wait for the next thing. <laughs> and yeah, and what we've been able to say, and now I've got 16 years of experience saying is like, don't wait for the next best thing. Like improvements in our industry are incremental. So if you wait five right. years you know, that incentive might not be there. The programs might not be there to support you. And so the the best day to go solar is today and start benefiting the environment. And a much broader view is I think that's true of a lot of different technologies. You know, the time to adopt them is now. It's not to wait. Don't wait for an electric car. And that's where I think the next big step change will happen is people moving out of their ice engine, you know, internal combustion engines and and getting into electric vehicles. And that immediately changes your relationship with energy and home energy. We saw that happen through the pandemic with people who are working from home and suddenly like, oh, realizing how many lights I have on and what that does to my bill. (laughs) When you're driving an electric car, it does the same thing. And you suddenly say, well, where is my energy coming from, right? If you live in the Midwest and you're driving an electric car and you learn like, oh, well, it's coal-fired electricity. So am I really benefiting? Well, actually, yes, because you're, you're helping build the industries that support deploying electric vehicles and creating a demand for clean energy to power your car. And so, yes, it's an absolute benefit. And I think, you know, I see here in the notes, like vehicle to grid, that will absolutely be huge. I think we'll enter into a new kind of relationship with our utilities where our customers are already doing this as power producers or what was the term coined for a while, like prosumers, producer consumers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we'll have to have this relationship. Like what is what are the contracts and the expectations that you have from your utility when you have a mobile battery that parks in your parking in your driveway who has control of when you get to use that car or not how do i as an individual say i'm okay losing some distance if what i'm doing is benefiting the the rest of my community and so you'll have yeah. different communities around the us and around the world saying i'm all for supporting the community that's what that's how we're going to get there and other people take very individual individualistic standpoints and say no there will be no control i need something else and there's and just within the utilities do we have an organic, you know, system that kind of signals itself and, and brings resources when it needs, or is it all about engineered control and being a conductor of this orchestra versus a living system? So I think there's just a lot of really fascinating overlaps between just, I think, electric vehicles, renewable generation, distributed generation, 
the IT infrastructure that is going to make all these things happen and to a point where utilities can count on all of these technologies to be there when needed. And then just honestly, like even the legal structure of what are our responsibilities? Like what is the agreement between you and me and the utility and the government and other people to, to adopt these and make sure that the greatest benefit happens for the greatest number of people? Super interesting perspective. I, I really like the expansion on the social contract there that you kind of alluded to, like, love it because you're right. I mean, it's funny, we have these unspoken social contracts, but some of these unspoken contracts have now become, I hit the light switch and my lights turn on. And you realize that that is not actually, that is a paid <laughs> wow. relationship yeah. that we have, uh, we've just now taken for granted, but we might need to change that and have this true kind of other, other perspective on that, on that social contract. I, I, I dig it. All right, Jacob, I think it's All time. Right. All right, we're entering the valley of rapid medium <laughs> questions. Herbie, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, no cheating. I'm cheating. All right, these are going to be all true or false. So first off, the sun is so massive that it accounts for 85% of the total mass of the entire solar system. So we're zooming out to space right here first before we get closer to renewables and solar. I'm going to have to say false. I think it's more. That's right. That's true. It's actually... Wow. Right. 99.86%. Wow. Yeah, I didn't think it was that energy. much. That is it's huge. Yeah. It's insane. It's crazy. All right. Now, question number two. True or false? In 30 years, the average rooftop solar panel system can reduce pollution by about 100 tons of CO2. True or false? Oh, man. Depends. <laughs> the classic solar. That's, the solar average. average. Sorry. The average. average. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be a wild guess for me. I'm going to say true. That is true. Yeah. All right. Two for two. You're the first guest. I really do try to trump him a little bit. but uh, A little bit. I know. Surprise. It's fun to surprise people a little bit with this stuff. I might have said too much. Number three, true or false? The power of the whole earth with solar energy, it would require 500,000 square miles of solar panels. I think I used to have a slide for this. And when oh, I wow. saw one, one decks, I want to say it's true, but I'm going to go false. I, I got to. Gosh, you're good. Yeah, it's false. It's actually a lot less for the Is audience, it? too. It's actually 191,000. Oh, wow. Square miles. It's not much. So 2.5 times less than than 500,000. So that's, that's, that sounds pretty Man, realistic. We're just bad. getting more efficient after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like all right, number four, true or false. In 2019, Zillow did a study and it showed on average homes with solar panels sell for 6% more than homes without. I should know this number. I think it's actually on our proposals. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's 4%, but I might be getting my, my numbers mixed up. You're right. Say true. It's 4%. It's 4%. Oh, it is. Oh, it wow, is. look at I that. Mean, I take back what I said and it's false. <laughs> it's false. It's false. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, last one. The cost of creating a PV has gone down from $1,900 per watt to $0.65 cents per watt. That's as of 2017. So 2017. That might be true. I think it's even cheaper now. We're I like, think it's cheaper oh, now. 20s or $0.20 cents a watt or less for wow. solar panel uh, for some to be produced. Yeah, true. Man, five out of five. Wow. Dang. There All we right. go. There we We're go. done. You know I your like stuff. It. You know your stuff. I All like right. It. Last question, Reeves. Climate change is so big, people often feel helpless in helping. We've kind of really sprinkled this throughout the entire conversation. What do you think is the equivalent of what a listener can do? Uh, let's say like any busy soccer mom could do. Do anything. 
I think this is something that people don't understand. Not doing anything is still a choice. So if you can do anything, this comes back to my middle school environmental club, reduce, reuse, recycle, right? Starting right away. And, and you got to realize like there are corporations who have such a bigger impact than you, but it doesn't matter. We, I think we all have a personal responsibility. So if it's walking to the grocery store instead of driving, work it into your schedule, how you can do it. Oh, I, nice. I think, yeah. you know, it's just, I, I think it's just anything you can, you can do Like if you're able to reduce consumption of some things by 50%, that's 50%, right? We, yeah. we offer that with solar. Like if you, if there's a great solar program, go solar, but you don't need to, they just get a more efficient car, get an EV, buy into your utilities, green power program. Those funds go to help other people get solar. Even if solar doesn't take you 100% solar powered, 10%, like that's, you're moving in the right it's direction. It's incrementally and good. Yeah. It's incrementally good. And we need as much of that as possible. We really do. We really do. I think a great example is just trying plant-based meat, right? Like it's oh, yeah. amazing what I've seen in the past five years, the price of ground beef gone up because I feel like there's this supply and demand battle that's starting to happen of people who used to eat red ground beef. Now they're eating impossible or they're eating beyond, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime I've eaten vegetarian, it's always, I don't want my veggies to pretend they're meat. I just don't like meat substitute products, but then beyond meat and impossible meat came along and holy cow, like, <laughs> that is my preference when I go out. Like I have rules around, like I just don't really eat red meat, but I love being able to get a good burger and yes. having that option yeah. out there. Yeah. It's huge. Absolutely huge. They just got to unlock steak now, you know, like a Philly cheesesteak <laughs> sandwich beyond meat stuff would be would be prime. All right, Reeves, any other call slash before we go? This has been amazing. Uh, no, no, I don't. Any Get discount engaged. codes for Anor Solar? <laughs> no, we have a great referral program. All right, so boom. you can certainly mention this podcast. I'll I'll let our folks know and you know we'll we'll send some referral money around. Okay. And real right. quick, where can we find A and R Solar? A hyphen rsolar.com. A dash R solar.com that's where you find us on the web we're on instagram facebook you know we're on the socials uh linkedin as well in a neighborhood and what's all the states you guys do solar in right now yeah so we do residential commercial in both washington and oregon border to border in both states uh headquartered in seattle with an office in portland but we we do work everywhere so a lot of residential our commercial also does a lot of municipal and tribal work yeah if you're interested we're, we're happy to help Okay. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, Reeves, thank you so much, man. This was uh, a pleasure. Like I said, I was really excited to have you on just because of, uh, appreciate the work you've done in this space for so long. And yeah, it's great to have you. Thanks guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. A uh, lot of fun. And thank you for letting me get some of the good work word out. Well, yeah, that was incredible. Thanks so much, man. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Boom. How was that? Well, there's more. So keep listening. We speak with climate tech leaders and change makers in EV, reforestation, solar energy, flood mapping, and a whole lot more. Also, you can give feedback or check out show notes at our website, climatemayhem.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Oh, don't forget, if you found this valuable or interesting at all, please hit subscribe. That way we know you're loving it. So just go to Spotify or whatever podcast app you're on, hit that subscribe button at the top. Production was done by Daniel Steenkamp with cover art by Harrison Glenn. This is Jacob Kubica with my legendary colleague, Ty Wolf motherfucking Jones. Peace out, Climate Mayhem. Out.